You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Sean and not Rick uh, once more. He is uh, feeling better, recovering, and, and on the up and up. I hope to hear him back on our podcast soon. But in his place, we have a man named Jack Dunbar. He is with uh, New Kingdom Gaming. He founded uh, New Kingdom Gaming. He's got a game that's coming out pretty soon. But he has a really, really interesting line of experience in his, I don't know, past life at Amazon. Or as an Amazon, I don't know, like I feel like he's the CIA, but, you know, Amazon <laughs> related. So, yeah, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. It's exciting to be here. I'm happy to be here with you and Sean today. Um, my experience took me in a lot of different directions in life professionally. You know, one thing about me, I'm a pastor. So that's been on the side. I've been bivocational for a lot of that. You know, after I got out of school, I was kind of looking for ministry jobs. And I remembered this thing from high school, actually, as I was getting ready for this for this podcast today. I took this class called Career Choices when I was in high school. And I remember the teacher telling us, you millennials, you guys are going to have like probably 10 plus jobs in your life. And I thought, no way, that's insane. You know, because my parents had like, my dad had like two jobs, you know, he he like, he like did something before or like while he was in college and then one thing right out of school. And for me, I, uh, I went to school, I got a biology degree. And so I taught biology at my alma mater while I was working on my next thing, which was a theology degree. And I decided to go into ministry, but I started looking for jobs and it was like, ministry is something that's so personal. It's so there's this this connection between like your denomination, faith, the community, all of this stuff that I it didn't fall in place like a normal career does, you know, where it's like, oh, you do the internship, then you get a staff position, then you get a senior position. So I started working in business and I did that bivocationally. And it just so happens I my first job after my master's was working logistics for one of the largest Amazon sellers in the country. And it was at a really critical time in e-commerce where there was all of this competition in the third-party seller space. Big companies like Walmart, Target were starting to get interested in that space. And they tapped us as one of these big companies to help them pilot those programs. And just because of my position on my logistics team, I got to get involved with that. And then I eventually worked myself up into a manager slash director position at the company where I was uh, responsible for a budget. And that budget was marketplace expansion. So what I ended up doing was working on, we were primarily an FBA seller, but I ended up working with some of the biggest companies in the world at the highest levels of leadership, talking about like, how do we compete with Amazon? (laughs) So it was really a crazy, it was a crazy experience. Uh, Granted, it was only three years, but those three years were really rich with insider information that over the years I've been asked to, you know, consult or help with. And, you know, just out of like non-compete stuff, I I haven't really done that with my former company, Mm -hmm. but now they've kind of changed leadership. It's been enough time now that it's, you know, I feel like it's okay to to talk about some of the stuff now. And um, the industry has, has largely changed, but there are a lot of keystones to selling on marketplaces like Amazon, Walmart, that just, they still apply to sellers. And so it's it's amazing to me how much people will still reach out to me being like, hey, you have this niche experience that was extremely valuable. Can we pick your brain? And so um, I thought I would just come on and, and speak, especially after you guys talked about Amazon. Your expertise was just, I, you kind of blindsided me. Just, we were having a, just a chat on Facebook Messenger and I, all of a sudden found out that you have a massive amount of experience 
in uh, you know as as an Amazon seller for you know an Amazon seller seller central right so yeah. there's vendor central mm-hmm. and there's seller central and seller central is where everybody puts their product uh, you know all the all the plebeians the normals the normies like us we put our products yeah. on seller central and we uh, hope to make money and and all of that and uh, you you mentioned FBA which is fulfilled by Amazon if you want prime you know if you want your product shipped out with prime then that's FBA and the the topic at hand you know we didn't really get into this before the topic at hand is how not to get pwned on Amazon how to min max <laughs> your Amazon experience you want to frame the topic for our for our audience so that they understand what why we're we're having this conversation sure yeah i mean i i love the way you put it i mean we're all gamers here right like um you know i and that's another thing i probably neglected to mention i'm a game publisher um got a game coming to kickstarter april 25th and uh you know that's the overlap here that's like how i got into this industry i think min maxing is a good way to put it it's like uh there's is selling on amazon and then there's winning on amazon there's you know excelling on amazon Mm -hmm. there's like when you put it in the in the scope of something like like gaming or yeah, online gaming, or uh, I'll go back to my first love, which is TCGs, like deck building, right? You can put together a deck and you can put together a competitive deck, right? Like there's a, and there's a gulf between the two. And I think that that's kind of what we're doing mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. or talking about here with Amazon is you not play just Merfolk like- and Magic, then you're never competitive. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Except with your, except with your competitive friends, you can, you can goad them and (laughs) poke holes in their usually dominant (laughs) strategy. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I think, um, you know, I guess my two biggest pieces of advice here come back to two very simple principles, which are are things that I was reflecting on after I listened to your episode on Amazon. And this is kind of how this topic sort of you know, spawned was, you know, Andrew knows me as a game publisher and in my full-time job now, I, uh, I'm a pastor on the side, but I do the publishing, the pastoring, and then I'm an accountant. So I think Andrew was surprised to hear me talk about my past in uh, Amazon because that was kind of the foundation for my business career. I was uh, growing up there doing business operations inside outside sales. I had this really unique leadership role where I was trying to help these massive organizations step into the third party selling space, which to you know, for anybody unfamiliar with how these these large marketplace companies work, you have first party, which is like bit massive retailers that have direct wholesale relationships with Amazon. So there's a buyer team at a at a, a big company like Amazon that will send out purchase orders for your inventory. They buy it from you at wholesale or distributor prices, and then they sell it online as Amazon, not as like the, these things are being sold by Amazon Seller Central. But then if you're uh, and the same is true for a big company like Target or Walmart. Like for board game, you know, publishers, like the the dream is to have a Target contract, right? Like you go into Target and you're like, maybe one day yep. I can be right there next to yeah. Pandemic <laughs> Legacy, right? But um, at Target, same thing. You can have a a one P relationship, or there's there's these marketplaces have now expanded. All of them have to offering three P offerings, and by that I mean you're a third party seller, so you retain your identity as a business entity on these platforms. So oftentimes when you click onto a listing, a lot of people don't even know this, but it will say in small blue print who is selling the product. If that's not there, it's just Amazon 1P. But if it is there, that means that there's some sort of seller, whether they are an established company or you know a mom and pop shop who's doing something like fulfillment by Amazon or dropship. So fulfillment means 
you send your inventory in and it's warehoused with that company. Like it's warehoused at a Walmart facility, it's warehoused at an Amazon facility, and that's sold to consumers. Uh, Dropship just means that you're you have the inventory physically in your location, whether that's an apartment and it's a, it's like the second bedroom of your two bedroom apartment, like a dropship seller, I know, or it's in your garage or you have a 3PL, a third party logistics company who's warehousing that inventory and selling it for you, shipping it out to customers. You're doing the selling, but they're doing the shipping. All I have to say that understanding that ecosystem is really important if you're going to be on those marketplaces. And my first two pieces of advice come back to something that, that you said. Uh, so Andrew and Sean, you guys mentioned this when you talked about Amazon a few episodes ago, but one of the things you kind of concluded that episode with was if you're the publisher of a game, you are the primary salesperson of that game and you need to take charge of your sales. And I would say that's my first major piece of advice when operating on a marketplace, big or small, is take charge of your sales, be the best seller of your product. That will, having that mindset will dictate your strategy. And it shouldn't be random. You should go into that saying, okay, I'm going to sell on Amazon. I am going to sell on Amazon with intention. And this goes to my second piece of advice, which Mm -hmm. is something that comes from Gabe Barrett. He often says to game designers, go pro at game design. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of us who are designers go into publishing and we approach going pro as something that applies only to game design when it should also apply to business. And for most of us, that means selling. Like you have to go pro as a salesperson for your product. If you're self-publishing, you have to be the seller. You have to mm-hmm. take the time. And a lot of us are okay with taking time to become a pro game designer because we go, oh, I'll just play more games. I'll like do more design. I'll do some play testing. Like that sounds, that sounds great. I'll go pro with that. I'll take two hours a day to do that. But I think going pro as a publisher, if you're going to be selling on marketplaces means I'm going to be checking my pricing. I'm going to be enforcing map policy, minimum advertised pricing. I'm going to be keeping clean books for my tax accountant at the end of the year. Like you have to go pro Mm -hmm. in things that you probably are not thinking about right now. And you need to start thinking about if you're going to be a a publisher. So that would be my second piece of advice. So like founding principles for the rest of this whole topic. But, and this is me personally thinking about deliverance, the the product that I made that's on the boat, I've got around 2000 copies that are coming to the U S that are going to be sitting in a warehouse that I intend to sell. And, you know, I made 5,000, about 5,000 units of the game. I'll have two to 300 units of each add on the neoprene mat, the, you know, maybe 500 metal coins. I'll have acrylic standees and and that kind of thing. I plan on listing all of that for sale on my website um, so that people can buy it. And that's, that's definitely the best place for me. If people were to buy that from me, uh, there, then I would earn in theory, the highest margin that I can. Mm-hmm. Now, if I go to sell on Amazon, I'm going to give Amazon a cut. And if I sell to a retailer or a distributor, I give them a cut, right? That's, you know, I, I reduce my price so that they can make money and, and that kind of thing. So the question mm-hmm. is, I just, I've kind of decided to, I'm, I'm in this weird in-between place right now because the the product is manufacturing. It's going to be shipping pretty soon, you know, in May. Mm-hmm. And then in June or July, it's going to be in the warehouse and able I'm able to sell it on online. So the question is, should I be planning to go to Amazon? Am I a fool if I uh, decide against a distribution type strategy for now and then just also decide against 
selling on Amazon? Um, I feel like the answer for myself is that, yes, I would be a fool to not prepare my product for Amazon if I intend to sell individually. And now there are companies like um, the main company that I think of, Chip Theory Games, they do not sell anywhere except for their website. If you want to buy their products, they have you have their crowdfunding uh, campaigns, and then you also have their website, which you can get all their stuff. And they have a big audience that they they sell, you know, a lot of upgrades, their add-ons for various uh, games like Too Many Bones. You know, I'm sure that they know all the people that bought Too Many Bones for their website, and they're sending those people like, hey, we have a new character that you can buy now. But is it, you know, as far as like reaching a broader audience, is it complete irresponsibility on a professional publisher's standpoint just as a general rule to not be on Amazon or like is it is it always the right move to get on Amazon great question ultimately will be decided by two questions for you Andrew one do you care about your pricing for your product because if you care about your pricing for your product you have to be the one to set that pricing the best way to set your pricing for a product is to be the seller setting the pricing to be the competitive seller with the competitive price with the benchmark that all other companies need to fall in line with. So if you care about your pricing, yes. The other question is this, will your product end up on Amazon anyway? Do you have distributor relationships, retail relationships? Are there, is there the opportunity that drop, drop sellers, drop ship sellers could pick up inventory of deliverance and sell it on Amazon? Those two questions should guide that decision for you because it is very difficult to enforce map and map is a, a very important concept for marketplace sellers in general. Map means minimum, minimum advertised pricing and having a map policy is an important thing for any e-commerce seller. Your map policy can be, it, it's, it's sort of like a business plan, but for e-commerce in that a business plan as you know, could be something that's sketched out on a napkin or on a Google doc, or it can be a formal document that you submit to a bank, right? And the same could be true of map policy. Like your map policy could be a, a, an Excel spreadsheet where you're like, I want my product selling for this. And it could be legal documents that are prepared by lawyers with cease and desist letters ready to go for breaking map policy that you send to retailers, distributors, uh, dropship sellers. There is a, a wide range of what a map policy can look like, but if map policy is an important concept to you, that you want your products to be sold at a stable price, or you have retailer distribu distributor relationships that you don't want broken by rogue sellers on platforms like Amazon or Walmart, and you think your products will end up there somehow, you should, the best way that you can combat that is to be a seller competing with those other sellers, to be a seller that you can benchmark against. That's really, really good advice. I think that, um, you know, sometimes I feel like asking the most obvious question is it just, I don't know. I feel like I really learned something. So I, I have the opportunity using the, um, the fulfillment company that I'm using in the U S which is bridge, uh, bridge distribution. They do, um, you know, they're going to do our U S fulfillment. They mm. also have kind of a sister business that prepares products for Amazon. So, mm, great. you know, they'll take pictures and they'll do the, you know, all the stuff that is kind of oh, required good. to prep your, your product for Amazon. And, um, and I mean, there are so many things that I just don't know that I would much rather have somebody that's educated that does and is able to prevent those issues. But taking 
control is, I mean, you never want to be without control. You know, we, we, we actually yeah. had uh, situations in the past with clients that we have uh, brought on. So one, one of the common things that we, we actually really love to sell for people that are beyond their Kickstarter campaign and are now selling online, um, you know, especially companies that are a little established where they have extra inventory that hasn't sold and they need to find something to do with it. It's just, it's, it's cash just sitting in a warehouse that they, that they can't turn into to cash, right? They just need to find buyers. So we love to take companies like that and work with them and sell their products and also market future Kickstarters and, and whatnot. But one of the big hurdles that we run into would be, you know, a client has distributor or retailer relationships that they've sold their product at half off. You know, let's just say a hundred dollar product is sold at fit for 50 bucks to a retailer. That retailer sure. will go sell the product on their shelf marked up for the full hundred dollars because that's how the yeah. retailer keeps the lights on and pays their employees and it makes a profit Absolutely. and you know is with that that margin so but then there are others that buy at 50 percent and then will sell at like for 70 percent. so they'll buy at 50 bucks and they'll sell for 70 which mm. is going to undercut everyone and you know you on your own website you're trying to maintain your retailer relationship so you're not going to deep discount your own product even though, yeah, you probably were able to uh, to get it for about like 30% of the cost of yeah. the product is what you had to pay to, to get it to the States and ready to, to ship. So if you sell sure. it on your own website, you can make, you make more. So in theory, mm -hmm. you could deep discount much further. And, but the problem is that ruins everything. You know, if you, if you're yes. for, for deliverance, for example, we sold it for $89, the deluxe edition mm -hmm. on Kickstarter then yeah. uh, the, the MSRP is 99. And if I were to deep discount for like, and sell it for 70, then all of the Kickstarter backers would be upset. Yeah. All of the retailers that I sold would be upset. And yeah. I wouldn't, it would, it would hurt my future sales. So yes. what you're saying is that or what, what we found is that there are some companies that will buy at 50% off and then deep discount on Amazon. And when you do marketing for your product, you're actually selling theirs. You're selling yeah, yeah. through their stock because people are smart. They're going to buy yeah. a product that is, uh, you know, the cheapest. They want that product. They're going to buy the cheapest version of it. Especially with yeah. something like Amazon where all your information is already saved and it's one button to, to order it. You know, it's much easier than going to a new site, adding your credit card information, adding your shipping address. There's a lot more processes. So sometimes people, even if it is a little bit more expensive on Amazon, they might just buy it on Amazon anyway simply because of the convenience of it. I have a response to Andrew and a response to Sean on your point. But so I'll go backwards. But first on the thing you just said, Sean, people are there. Here's something that's really important about Amazon. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out two stats that are now five years old, but I think still apply in some sense because I used to teach marketplace expansion to all of our new hires when we would come on at this company. And um, uh, one, there are two shocking details I used to share that I think have only increased over time. And one is over 80% of product searches begin on Amazon. And people are surprised by that. They don't- 80%, wow. Yeah, they don't, they don't begin in the Google search bar. They don't begin in the Brave search bar or whatever search engine you're using. They begin at Amazon because that's where people go to shop. So they think, oh, I heard about this board game deliverance. I want to buy it. Where am I going to find it? I go to Amazon and I type in deliverance. <laughs> that's where people go yeah. to look for things. So if you're not showing up there, that's a problem, right? Because then people have to take an additional click, which 
all e-commerce is about reducing clicks, right? But they have to make the additional click to say, okay, I'm going to go to a browser and search for deliverance. So yeah, I mean, there's another element of, of uh, you know, money that you're leaving on the table is if you're not there, you're going to miss out on search, right? And you guys know how important search engine optimization is. But so that's one thing. The other thing I would say is, Andrew, you're absolutely right about pricing differential. And there are two really important considerations I want to drop here. One is your relationships with your distributors and your retails need to have an e-commerce strategy baked into the contracts, or at least the conversation. So when you're working with a distributor or a retailer, you need to talk to them about what, it, what does it look like for them to go 3P. Here's a really good example. Um, I worked with a, I don't know if I can use the name here or if they would appreciate it. So uh, a pretty prominent game publisher. It's okay. You can keep them agnostic. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there is a pretty prominent game publisher uh, that's that's very famous for making small games. And they approached, approached me when I was working in this capacity and they really wanted to get their products on Walmart. But they had a very stringent map policy as part of their retailer and distributor relationships. And I think that is very smart because essentially what they're telling you is as a distributor or retailer, we are competitors on marketplaces and we're going to peg our price here and we want you to do the same. That is really important mm-hmm. and helpful for uh, working with uh, distributors or retailers because it, it's the first line of defense for map policy. Because here's the thing, when you're setting your price, you are the only one who is benefiting from maintaining that price. But when you have retailers and distributors who are also interested in selling products and have inventory on hand, they're also interested in enforcing your pricing, right? So if you can get them to on the same page with you on your map policy and say like, this is our price, it's never broken, they'll do some of the legwork for you of enforcing that pricing as well. They'll notify you when you have violators. They may even reach out to violators and send cease and desist letters themselves. They'll work as hard as you will to help you maintain your pricing. That's really interesting. And now one of the questions I have, so we have this minimum advertised price, the mm-hmm. map. Um, the uh, So this is just to kind of make it clear for everybody that's listening that might not be familiar. The minimum advertised price is a set of guidelines that you come up with that says, like, for example, deliverance. We sell deliverance for $99. That is the MSRP. If you want to put it on sale, you can only put it on sale to $89. It's uh, Exactly. You know. Yes. You can have clauses that allow for map violations too. Like you can say map violations are allowed for distributors with the seller's consent, right? So if somebody says like, hey, I want to do a Black Friday sale, you can say like, you can go down to $79.99 for Black Friday, but only for Black Friday and it must end Monday, right? Like you can put any kind of language you want around these things. Because oftentimes what happens is you end up with games and you need to sell them. Like as a publisher, you want to get rid of them, but you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because you have this price that you that's very important to maintain for the quality of your brand and your product. And you have these relationships with things like distributors and retailers who want you to maintain that pricing so they make a profit margin too. So how do you do that? Well, you can have you know special sales windows. Or you can offer sales to specific distributors. That's like, hey, for distributors, your map is this, whereas retailers, your map is this. You know, you can also identify by marketplace. Amazon is this, Walmart is this. But the key thing is what I would always advise in those those things is you set the price, you make sure that it's clear. Don't undercut your sales. Um, don't undercut yourself by, you know, discounting sales, for instance, on your store. 
and then having a different price on Amazon. That's just going to, it's going to hurt ultimately. So being consistent is really important there, but it is important to know that like there is some flexibility in these contracts. Jack, one thing I'd like to get into and for our listeners would probably be quite helpful is if you could give a roadmap or maybe a step-by-step guide of how to get your stuff onto Amazon, even if it's sort of rudimentary, but it gives people a framework to operate within just so that they have an understanding of all the steps that are needed to eventually get your stuff on Amazon and start selling. I think that might be helpful for people. Yeah. And like, where do I start? You know, is kind of what I'm looking for. Well, um, here's the first thing is uh, have some money saved up. That's really important. That's the first step and something that nobody's going to tell you. They're just going to tell you, hey, sign up for your account, but have money saved up. Have have um, a little bit set aside because you're going to have to pay every month to use this service. So if you sign up for fulfillment by Walmart or you sign up for 1P even, um, and you say you're a big, you're a big retailer with uh, thousands of units and you, you, you want to chase down a 1P relationship with Amazon uh, Seller Central and you have the capacity and ability to do that. Maybe some of you listening are in that boat. You need to, uh, you need to prepare because there's going to be some cost on the front end. There's going to be administrative costs. Um, there's going to be time spend that you need to put in or employees need to put in or contractors need to put in to get things set up for your selling. And you're going to have to pay service fees. And one thing that's really important to know is that Amazon fees are about 25% of your sales price. So if you if you do fulfillment by Amazon, it's going to cut into your sales big time. And you're going to make a very slim profit margin, especially in the games industry. So the first thing is, be sure that like you're financially prepared to take on selling on Amazon. That's my first step. Second step is set up a seller account. Literally, if you have an Amazon account, or even if you don't have an Amazon account, you can, in the account tab or sign in tab, there's, there's literally an option that says start a selling account. And Amazon will just walk you through the whole process. Probably the most important things that the most important decision you're going to need to make is if you're going to be selling your products uh, direct from a location, or if you're going to be selling your products FB, FBA, fulfillment by Amazon. If FBA, the a very important step that is overlooked by a lot of people is the FBA prep checklist. There is a checklist of, of things you need to do to prep your products for fulfillment by Amazon. Because Amazon is a very, it's a well-oiled machine, right? Like they're not just going to accept any condition of box or any condition of product that comes into them. It has to be prepared in such a way that their employees know exactly what to do with it. So that means box labels need to be perfectly applied. The box needs to be in such and such condition. You need to meet their requirements. So read the FBA checklist in detail before sending your inventory into an Amazon warehouse. Also read the fee schedule so that you're not surprised by things like long and short-term storage fees, that you're not, expi- ex- you're not surprised by their, by their uh, destruction clause. Because if they have inventory sitting for a certain amount of time in an Amazon warehouse, they will destroy it if you don't pull it. So I think reading all of that language uh, and all of those materials is a very important step in getting started in this process. And you'll notice uh, I really haven't given you a lot of practical like click this button or this link and then follow these steps because I think all of that prep work is essential before you even get started in this process. Because the thing is, actually setting up your seller account and sending inventory to Amazon is extremely easy. They make it easy on purpose. They want products and they want to have the most listings on the internet. So for them, they're going to make that as frictionless as possible. 
But for you as a seller, it's really important to do your homework ahead of time. So one thing that I find really interesting about this, you know, you, you mentioned Amazon FBA is going to take 25% of, you know, r- roughly the product fee. So for deliverance, MSRP $99. If I sell it at 99, it's going to take 25 bucks roughly mm-hmm. um, yep. to, to, you know, uh, out of that margin. So what I find interesting is that I, you know, as a marketer, I've looked and I, I've kind of pre-planned if I sell via Facebook ads, I've expect, I expect that I'm going to spend roughly 20 to $30 per, I'm willing to spend 20 to $30 per unit on Facebook ads to, to sell one unit. Mm-hmm. So if I'm able to list on Amazon and, you know, spend 25 bucks, that's very much within the margin of um, what I'm, what I've accepted just selling through Facebook ads to sell a single product uh, right now with our uh, pre-marketing or, I mean, I mean our uh, post Kickstarter marketing with deliverance, you know, we just have a, you know, until recently when I shut the pledge manager pre-order store down, we had um, anywhere from like seven to $12, we would sell a hundred dollar, a hundred dollars worth of product, but post, you know, retail it, it'll go, it, it'll cost more. So mm-hmm. what I'm, what I'm, uh, really curious about is, is, is Amazon kind of like, I want to add, maybe this is the wrong way to ask it, but is Amazon, can you consider it like a marketing expense that $25 that you're going to 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 spend is, is the product going to sell itself? Yes. Great point. That's an excellent point. And goes into what Sean was bringing up, which is Amazon is where uh, the thing I said earlier, Amazon is where product searches, searches happen and it's, it's where they start too. So the reality is, you know, for a direct seller, you don't want high volume on Amazon. If you are a massive company or you're doing one P relationship with Amazon or Target or Walmart, this is true for all of them actually, which we'll talk about. I, I do want to talk about multi-channel fulfillment uh, and multi-channel sales because that's important. So Remind me to come back to that. But if you're on Amazon, it's going to add credibility to your product. It says like, oh, this is actually available for retail. Cool. I'm going to go see, because here's what game buyers will do. They'll go, I'm going to check Target and see if Target has it. Because Target usually has a better price or I have a Target down the street from me. So I'm just going to hop in my car, go to Target and pick it up. So I have it right now because I want to play this game tonight with my friends. That's going to be their next stop. Then they'll check, you know, maybe I can buy this from the publisher because there are a lot of consumers in the board game industry who believe in the board game industry. And so they want to buy direct from the seller. So they'll start their product search on Amazon. Then they'll go to the direct site to buy. Um, and this this is a this is a winning strategy that I've seen with small businesses. I mean, I mentioned I did small business accounting and I have retailers that that have Amazon presence. And I always advise them, you don't want to build your Amazon sales because you're going to lose on fees. You want to build your direct site sales and Amazon mm-hmm. should be part of that strategy. To recap, I list my product on Amazon. I'm not going to put, so I have I have uh, 2,000 units coming to the US. I yeah. am not going to put all of them in the Amazon warehouse. I will put a certain amount of them in the, let's say 100 in the Amazon mm-hmm. warehouse. I am going to hope to sell 1,900 units uh, from my website or through maybe the retailer relationships that I have. Uh, maybe them reordering. Where do I go from there? Here's a topic that you guys have talked about a lot. Communicate in as many media as possible, right? Have have access to earn the permission to communicate with people everywhere, right? Facebook, Instagram, email, 
that's the goal of marketing, right? You would say that you earn the opportunity to communicate in as many media as you possibly can. I think the same is true for sales. You want to sell to people in as many places as you possibly humanly can. You want it to be easy for people to buy your product. And you want people to put almost zero thought into where or how they're going to buy your product. It's just like, oh, there's the product I want. I can buy it. Um, click, you know, and it doesn't matter where they are. If they're an avid eBayer, they'll buy the product on eBay. If they if they prefer Walmart because they're anti-Amazon, they'll go to Walmart. You know, if they're if they're they all they do is shop on Amazon, they can buy your product there. But if they're a thoughtful consumer who's like interested, and I'm not saying that people who buy in those ways are not thoughtful. It's just if they're thinking through like, man, I really want to support this small business. I'm gonna buy directly from them. You should make it easy to do that as well. So being having the the broadest selling presence possible is important. But you as the seller, you mentioned this before, your costs are lowest when you sell directly. The the most ideal scenario is you get a game, it comes from China, it shows up in your in your like at your house, your warehouse, and you sell that directly to a person without having to ship it. Right? Like that would be the lowest cost option for you. And then you add on additional fees when you go to something like Amazon or you sell through a company who's brokering your deal with Amazon. Fee plus fee, you know, you're you're adding fees and stacking fees. So what you want to do to boost for the most effective sales for you is your direct site sales. Then after that are all of your marketplaces, um, your distributor and retailer relationships are good. One of the reasons that it's important to have an Amazon presence is so that your distributors and your retails can sell through all of their stock and they'll order from you again, right? So you put up a hundred copies on Amazon. Mm -hmm. If you never ever sell a single one of those copies, you can bet that your larger distributor or retailer who has a larger presence on Amazon is going to sell copies there. So like, even if you don't make those sales, you're enforcing your pricing and you're allowing your distributors to sell there. You're giving them credibility. And there's a, there's a a competition on the back end of Amazon algorithmically that's boosting their buy box, right? So they're beating out this small seller, you, because they have larger seller ratings, higher customer service score, whatever it is that they're going to get the win there. And it, it helps your distributors sell more product. And I said I, I wanted to get into this a little bit, so I'll just talk about it now. Multi-channel fulfillment. One of the things that a lot of businesses don't think about when they think about e-commerce strategy is how to get to as many channels as possible. And uh, Sean, I'll send you some links so you can include them in the show notes because I think there are some important opportunities that people could look into to sell through multiple channels. Um, one option is instead of selling, instead of shipping your products to FBA or you know, you have a 3PL that's game specific, but maybe you could contract with another third-party logistics company, another warehouse that does all e-commerce sales, including your Shopify store, your direct site sales. They do your fulfillment, but you use a, you can use, there are two tools that you can use. One is you can use a 3PL that does multi-channel fulfillment and Amazon will do this too. The trick is, of course, Amazon's not going to post products on big competitors, the biggest one being Walmart. So if you want your product on walmart.com and you want to do multi-channel fulfillment, you can't do it through Amazon because Amazon doesn't want to post their products for sale on Amazon and Walmart, right? But you can do that Mm -hmm. privately. So you can use seller tools, which will allow you to post a listing and then split it. It's kind of like social media scheduling, right? Like you can schedule a post on Instagram and it will hit both Instagram and Facebook. You can do the same thing with a listing. So you say like, here's a listing for deliverance board game, but I want that to post not just on Amazon. I want it to post on Target, Walmart, Amazon. I want it to post on eBay. 
eBay is still a huge platform. This is kind of a dated statistic, but something that's important for people to know. This was back in 2015. More products had been sold on eBay in the history of its company than Amazon and all other marketplaces combined. So having your products on eBay as a seller, huge opportunity. There's still a lot of people who buy on eBay, particularly people like us, nerds, right? People who are collectors, right? Because they go to eBay to buy that rare Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic card. And then they're like, oh, I also want to find, I want to buy a deliverance board game while I'm at it. Oh, I can do that on eBay. Great. I already have an eBay account and I buy lots of stuff there. I tell you, Vinted is is getting up there. I can tell you that. I don't know if your wives frequent it a lot, but that seems to constantly be <laughs> something that comes out of my bank account. Is purchases. <laughs> okay, so maybe I want to go multi-channel with this thing. Then you start to think about the administrative burden of that. Like, man, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about selling my product at all, right? Probably... But, you know, there are several listeners in that category who they, they're going to listen to this podcast and it'll be like, oh, no, now I have all the stuff to think about. I wasn't thinking about it all. I was just like designing games and I'm like Kickstarter and then maybe I'll sell, you know, but like thinking through that strategy there and putting together some bullet points of what you want to do is important. But you think, OK, I want to go multi-channel. You want to use uh, one of the things that you could consider is using a partner. So signing up with a company that does multi-channel fulfillment services. There are several three P's that do that. Um, you could even work with an Amazon seller like the company I used to work for. There are a lot of good Amazon sellers out that out there. If you're at a size where it makes sense, let them take care of all of that. Sign up, sign an agency contract with an e-commerce expert. Send them several uh, hundreds of games and let them decide what to do with it. You don't need to do this stuff yourself. Could um, you recommend any third-party sellers? Um, I, I I think what I'll do is maybe sell send some uh, send some links in the show notes so you can take a look and and look through several of those. One is uh, there's a there's a good one that's actually local to me called Caspian. They do a great job. They're an agency seller. They're primarily focused on on Amazon and Target, but they, they have a ton of experience here. They're a good one. A, a multi-channel company that I'll plug is Deliver. That's uh, Deliver with two R's. So it's D-E-L-I-V-E-R-R. Um, great leadership there. Um, good account management. They work with both large and small sellers and they have they have an excellent, excellent relationship with Walmart. Uh, they're growing their presence on Amazon. They work hand in hand with a listing tool called Sellbrite. Sellbrite allows you to create one listing and then post it to multiple locations. Zentail is another big one. I, I liked Zentail's user face um, uh, when I was using it a lot. Found it very helpful. But the other thing is, you know, if you want to do this yourself, you can put together a little tech stack for yourself that'll allow you to manage this stuff. One of the things I would recommend is, if you have a listing tool, you should also have a repricing tool that will help you manage all of your pricing across all sites. So you can say, hey, I want, you know, it can be an administrative burden to say, okay, I'm going to go to Amazon. I'm going to set my pricing. Uh, I'm going to go to eBay. I'm going to reset my pricing. I'm going to go to, you know, whatever other marketplace, reset my pricing. But with one of these listing tools like Sellbrite, Zentail, um, another really good one is called uh, Be Cool. It's Be Cool with a C. Um, or with a Q instead of a C, they check your repricing. They'll like notify you of map violators too. So they'll they'll say like, hey, this dropship seller popped up and they're selling your product at twenty bucks when you have it for eighty, and then you can you know follow up on on that. So there's some cool. options out there for how you can tackle the strategy yourself, or you could use a partner. But I think the important thing is to to give it some thought to think about how do I open up my sales channel so I'm selling to as many people as possible. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it always makes sense to, after you have tried some stuff, you lean into what's working. Right. And that's, mm -hmm. I think, um, I was actually talking with a client yesterday about their strategy. They had been spending a lot of time writing blogs and whatnot, and they have not really been, they've been paying attention to the wrong metrics and they realized that their email list is not growing They're You know, they, they're getting a lot of impressions on their website, but it's not really, you know, um, ending up in actual tangible banked results. And mm -hmm. so we talked about, Hey, stop writing those blogs. I mean, you know, it takes four hours or more every single week to write prep and, you know, edit and, and, you know, post a blog that, yeah. you know, the, the, the way that they're doing it. And if it's not generating results, then just lay it down. And, uh, you know, I think that the same is going to be true with sellers. I mean, the, if the goal is to sell stuff, you know, as a publisher, the, the, the object of the game is to sell stuff then you need to find the way to sell it at the highest price the most consistently but beyond all else you need to actually make sure product is moving out the door and mm -hmm. if it without that you're just going to be paying a lot of fees you know in fact one of one of uh, our clients like a long time ago they were selling stuff in, uh, through FBA and Amazon uh, was charging 60 bucks a month for storage fees like 20 bucks at three different warehouses they increased that amount to like $300 because the product wasn't selling fast enough. And that caused the, uh, that caused our client to liquidate a ton of their inventory so that mm -hmm. Amazon would stop charging them these extremely high fees, um, which were, you know, it's kind of gnarly, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but if the product is not moving, then, you know, lean into what is working. You know, there are some yeah. people that just sell through Kickstarter or GameFound, and that's like the, really the only way that they that they make money they build you know they they create enough product to sell uh you know to fulfill orders and to have just a little bit extra and that's it you know but mm -hmm. for for me i want deliverance i want to have like a seventh printing of, yeah. of deliverance you know I, I want it to be i want the base game to sell and consistently sell and i think part of that whole of course there's the product life cycle to consider but then you really need to uh, make sure that that product is you know, wherever it's selling, you need to maybe, you know, be willing to, you know, minimize whatever's not working and, and maximize whatever is working with your, you know, by spending your time there. Min-max it, bro. That's right. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Min-maxing. I mean, this is why, so, you know, uh, now that I'm a, I'm an accountant, I do a lot of financial review and I always encourage, I always encourage businesses I work with to review their financial statements regularly. And the reason is, uh, you know, if you don't, if you're not measuring what's happening, you can't make any decisions based on data, right? So you need to have some level of measurement and that should be a component of your retail business. Like you should be looking at your reports and saying what's working, what's not working. Just like with marketing, that's one of the advantages of hiring a company like yours is you guys manage ads and you look at the reports and you say, Hey, this ad is working or it's not working or it's performing or underperforming, or like, maybe we can make this small tweak. I think the same is true of your sales. Like if you're noticing that you're selling a lot of units in a particular pay place, like double down there, but, or ask the questions, or if it's like, if that's not the correct, you may be selling a lot of units someplace, but it's not the channel you want. Think about how can I leverage this to boost the channel I do want? Like say you're on Amazon, you're selling a ton of units there, but you're, as we talked about before, making extremely thin margin. You might think, what can I do to direct some of this traffic to my direct site? 
you know, how could I boost that so that I'm, I'm, I'm winning on my sales. I'm I'm min maxing my opportunity. I think that's a good way to, that's a good way to be thinking with retail, particularly e-commerce. Would you recommend putting a, like a, a QR code or like your URL to your own website on the actual box so that even if people do pick it up on Amazon, they know that you have a website. I've always thought that's probably a good way to get people to your own site is that by having, are there any kind of policies that Amazon have in terms of things you can you can and can't have on your box? I imagine you can't say, hey, buy, don't buy on Amazon, buy on my, our website. You probably can't put that on your, your box if you're selling through Amazon. Absolutely. And I think they don't let yeah. you get the email. Yeah, no. Amazon doesn't want to share anything with you. <laughs> they want the sales. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's But we're, we're working with printed products. The rule book is an excellent place to advertise uh, you, the, you know, when you open a game from retail and it has like that insert, that's like, here are all of our other games. I keep those with the games I like, because I'm like, maybe I want to buy one of these games later. That's an incredible tool. You know, utilize that QR codes, use your rule book to advertise your website. Absolutely. Because that's all printed material and Amazon can't take it away. Here's the thing though. A lot of sellers want to include like third-party sellers. They want to include like a postcard and then they want Amazon to bundle that. And the thing is that has a price both for storage and for the act of bundling. So like there's a, that's inefficient, but then secondly, it can open you up to policy violations with Amazon. If you're advertising in the wrong way, Amazon can just pull your product. They can destroy your inventory. They can do whatever they want with it. So I would strongly advise against doing things like additional postcards, hang tags, you know, even like stuff that you're putting in your boxes. We had an example. We had a a major retailer who is uh, trying to generate reviews for their products. And so they added a little postcard to, the, to all of their products uh, in the manufacturing process that was uh, taped to the outside of their, their package. And it said, go here to leave a review on Amazon. That's an Amazon violation. They ended up with all of this inventory at Amazon warehouses, pallet, I'm talking pallets of inventory that was denied uh, access to warehousing space. So they had to pay immediate long-term storage fees on all of that inventory because they violated Amazon's policies. It was a small Whoa. move that they were trying to make to boost their sales. They wanted more ratings, but it was not the proper way to go about it. And it cost them, I, I think for this company, it ended up costing them like tens of thousands of dollars in lost revenue. Yeah, I think it's the same for YouTubers. You say, oh, please like, share, and subscribe. I'm pretty sure by saying that, YouTube is picking that up, like dunking you in their algorithm because they don't want people to exploit their algorithm. They want people to naturally and organically like, share, and subscribe without you having to enforce that. So I, I have a suspicion that actually harms YouTube channels, but it's, it's interesting. I'm sure someone lost yeah. their, their job after that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're talking about algorithms, I do want to talk about one of the most important algorithms on marketplaces, which is the buy box. You might wonder like, well, how are, how are sales attributed when you have multiple sellers? Like if I type in deliverance board game, why do I buy it from this seller versus this seller? And that's largely a backend decision that's decided by Amazon. So you type in deliverance support game, you click on a listing, that listing may be shared between multiple different sellers. And the seller that pops to the top is going to have the best customer service price. They're going to have the fastest shipping methods, the cheapest shipping methods. And that seller is going to have the best price. That is the number one factor in buy box sales is best price. So uh, one of the things we talked about earlier is like, um, you have the best cost for your product. That might be true, but the person who has the best cost for your product is somebody who picked it up shrink wrapped when it fell off the truck, right? So 
the reality is like if somebody acquires your product in some cheap way, maybe somebody just bought two copies of Deliverance, Andrew, and they're like, uh, I, you know, I, I actually, you know, thought I might give this to a friend, but it turns out like I, I found something better for them here and they just give it to their other buddy or something. Then that person's like, I'm going to turn around and sell this on eBay. They bop into the buy box and for them, like they don't care if they make five bucks on that product or 80. They're just going to try to sell it. And so one thing to keep in mind is one of the questions you asked is like, should I be on Amazon? It's like, can your product end up on Amazon? That's one of the ways it can end up on Amazon. There there are millions of ways that people can get your products and they'll pop in, even if it's just for a moment, a week or something like that, violating your map, violating your pricing, just trying to make a quick sale because they happened to cross five copies of shrink-wrapped deliverance, the board game. And they're like, I bet I could sell this on Amazon through my FBA account. Just know there are lots of lots of ways that your products can end up there. When we're talking about the buy box, are we talking about the little tabs that are Amazon's choice and bestseller? You know, like the if I if I were to search for, for example, pandemic board game, I get um, a list of a bunch, you know four different sponsored uh, games that are not pandemic, and then mm-hmm. I scroll down and I see Amazon's choice for pandemic board game is the base game of pandemic. It's sell it's sold for. Marked down from $40, sold at $33.11. And then that, you know, where where is the buy box here? Yeah, when you click on see other options, like when you look at the price, you click see all options for sellers mm-hmm. or see other options for sellers. And it pulls up a whole list of sellers that are like okay. some have it new, some have it used. Whoever earns the top spot in that listing, the hero spot, the first spot, the one where like you type in the listing, you click on it and you click buy now, who gets that sale? That's what the buy box is. Oh, got it. So there's a, a company that is selling for $33.11. It's sold by W&Y Inspiration. I do not know why that company is the first, other than that's that makes so much sense. So it's a $39.99 product, but they instead of having a million listings, they're going to have one listing for the game, and they're going to sell it at the quote-unquote best, best price. So the person... Yep. That uh, if I just click buy now, uh, the person who gets credit is WNY Inspiration. It could be ABC Random Kid that was donated my game that has one copy of it and sold it for $8. So there are 14 different sellers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Dropshipping is totally legal. I mean, the, the Supreme Court has tried cases about dropshipping several times and they always side with the seller. Why? Because... You know, it's like, well, don't squash my rights to to personal business. And it's like, that's cool. That's great. But like the reality is while dropshipping is legal, there are ways to go about it ethically and unethically. And lots of people will choose the unethical route. They're just like, got a thing, we'll sell, have a seller account, easy money, right? The trick is this is why having your own presence is so important because you can say and set the pace and say like, no, no, actually what you're doing is unethical. And you can reach out and enforce map. One of the tools that you can use for this, by the way, is Amazon has a program for sellers called, and I'll send a link to this, but it's called Amazon Brand Registry. This is something we tried to sell mm-hmm. our clients on all the time when I was working at this old business was just sign up for Amazon Brand Registry. And oftentimes our clients would not do it because they would they were like, well, we use you guys to enforce this stuff. But the reality is uh, the only person that can do this is the business owner. Because you have to have your trademark and all of this stuff and submit it to Amazon. But it's a simple process on Amazon, really. It's just like with setting up a seller account, setting up brand registry, all you need is a recognizable trademark with documentation that you own it. 
And then Amazon will do some policing on your behalf because it's advantageous to Amazon. Like Amazon wants brands to be protected on Amazon as long as they have a relationship with Amazon. Think about major companies like Nike shoes, Reebok or something like that. To them, their pricing is extremely important and they're signed up through brand registry. And so Amazon will say like, hey, this is the map policy on this site. If you're going to sell this product, you have to prove that you own that you came about it legally that you didn't just get nike shoes you know because they fell off a truck so that's a tool that you can use to protect yourself so when i sell my my game on amazon what i was thinking was that i would actually include the upgrades and the add-ons like metal coins neoprene mat acrylic standees on my website only so instead you know where I, as i have let's say 2000 units of my product uh, of the board game I only have like two to two to five hundred units of of various add-ons, mostly like two to three hundred, let's say. I was thinking about listing those on my website only and mm-hmm. then trying to sell those prim- primarily to people who have already purchased the game that are on my email list, you know, and and trying to add value. And I felt like even though I have, let's say, a $99 game that I don't want to I don't want to cheapen and discount a bunch just to liquidate. Because I want to sell the game well into the future and I need to maintain my price in order to keep trust in the company and, and all of that to do that, I would be able to bundle add-ons. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm already kind of factoring in how do I want to sell or how do I want my mm-hmm. sales to, to go? I, I will use add-ons and bundle and get people to save $35 if they buy this bundle without upsetting my retailers. So if my retailers are buying a product and selling it $99, I I thought if I discount, then, you know, that's generally, you know, if I discount too much, it's not going to make them happy. But if I discount the game 35 bucks, it's going to make people really upset. But then if I were to bundle the product and let's say I sell my, you know, equivalent to the quote unquote all in for $159, whereas the MSRP on all of that together is about, 190, they're going to save a significant amount of money, uh, let's say $30. And I'm going to avoid upsetting people. But if, and then I can also sell the bundle of add-ons by itself for like $70, where they're going to get 20 bucks off uh, just buying all the add-ons for the one, for the game that they already own. And that's only going to be on my website. Is that a viable strategy uh, would you recommend doing that for, you know, like if I if I wanted to sell on Amazon, but also try to drive people to my website to purchase? What do you think yeah. about that? Oh, great. Great question, Andrew. I would recommend two things with that. One is because you have limited stock of those items, you do, right? Yeah. So I only have like two or 300 units. And when they all sell out, the only time I would reprint them is when we go back to Kickstarter and great. we get another pre-order for various add-ons and whatnot. Yep. Yeah. Unless they're just super popular. (laughs) Well, for a small company, I would advise keep that stuff at your house. Don't pay any warehouses for that. Fulfill it yourself. (laughs) Right. Or something like that. Like, you know, keep it, keep it as simple as you possibly can manage. Right. Like keep it at a, at a, at a single warehousing location and sell it only through direct site because yeah, limited stock items are those kind of things where you want to have full control and everything you sell is gravy, right? Like you already paid for that. It's actually the board game sales that are that are good for you. Um, the add-ons like are all profit because they exist only because you sold the board game to begin with. So what I would recommend is when you have add-ons like that, like sell them through your direct site, that's actually something that can win you sales over Amazon. 
or other marketplaces, right? Because a, a board gamer goes and they, they say like, oh, is this available on, on Amazon? They go, oh, this was formerly a Kickstarter. I'm going to go to the direct site and see if they have add-ons available there. That's like a common practice. They go there and they go, oh, not only can I buy the, the game at the exact same price as Amazon because the seller has good map policy, not only can I buy it at the same price in my direct, direct website, I can also buy all of the Kickstarter add-ons. That's a huge bonus. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the seller charges me shipping. I can expect that. Like Amazon was going to do it. You know, they were going to charge, they were going to cover my shipping and the seller was going to pay for that through all of their FBA fees. But, you know, I'm actually going to buy it here and pay the shipping because I can buy all the add-ons and it's like a back to Kickstarter. I get everything from the Kickstarter from the, the company itself. I think that's, that's great. And then one small follow-up question. What number should I charge for shipping? I believe that on my own website, I need to subsidize the shipping. I shouldn't be saying, hey, it's $28 to buy the deliverance base game and add-ons or whatever. Do, are you in support of a maximum shipping price to, you know, or general, do you have any guidance on that? You know, because people are looking at FBA and saying, oh, well, that's free prime shipping. Uh, why am I being charged this much? Is there a number that is acceptable? Well, I would say the first consideration there should be your profitability. Because if you're subsidizing your shipping in a way that's hurting you, it doesn't matter if you, you know, if the number is $1 or $10 or whatever, if you're subsidizing your shipping so dramatically that you're not making any money on your sales, you're, there's not going to be future sales of your game, right? So you need to you need to have your customers pay a portion of your shipping if you can't afford to subsidize your shipping. So what I would recommend is most most sellers cannot afford to subsidize shipping and it just is what it is. Consumers are more okay to pay shipping these days than they used to be. Uh, back when I was working in this this industry in marketplaces, it was all about the two day tag. Not so anymore. It's now about pricing more than it is about shipping speed. Because there are so many players in the industry and shipping has changed dramatically because of COVID. So consumers now, Gen Z and millennial consumers are reporting. I just read an article about this, but they're reporting that they, if I can find it, I'll, I'll share it. But they're reporting that they can, they care more about quality and price than they do about shipping speed uh, than they used to. So that's a, that's a pretty dramatic shift in the retail environment. And I think that if you have the right product, that people want, they will pay for shipping on it. So one thing I would say is uh, like totally free shipping is something that consumers understand. Businesses can't float. Even Amazon can't float it anymore. They used to offer, you know, two-day shipping on everything. And Prime is slowly creeping up to like, I ordered this. It was Amazon Prime. I didn't pay for shipping, but I don't know. Maybe I'll get it in like three weeks. It's crazy. But the landscape around shipping and shipping costs has changed dramatically. And I think it's okay to, to have people pay for it. I don't know if you, you'd be willing to answer questions in the crowdfunding news community. I know we usually post this in our Facebook group. Would you, because I'm sure people have lots of questions because we can't obviously cover everything on this vast topic in one episode. So um, if there's a, some type of way of following up with you there, would you be willing to do that? Yeah, of course. Add me as a friend on Facebook too. I love to connect with designers. I love to connect with people from this community. I'd be more than happy to follow a thread in the Crowdfunding Nerds Facebook community and answer questions. Um, but I'd also be happy to answer your, you know, your DMs. To though, for the benefit of the group, please like 
try to ask your questions in that thread because it helps everybody to see the answers. Great. So what we'll do in in the show notes, we will uh, put a, a link to uh, the Ask Me Anything, I suppose, with you. So after listening to this episode, feel free to go to the the group and, and follow along with the questions that are there. So, uh, so Jack, I know you have a game coming to Kickstarter here soon. In fact, you asked me to uh, give it a review. I, I um, got a bunch of plays in and had a good time. And I was uh, curious, you know, we always ask our guests, how, how can people find you? And would you be willing to share a little bit about that upcoming uh, Kickstarter that you're... You bet. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Andrew. I'm so grateful that you took the time to review New Kingdom Gardeners. It means the world to me. I'm super, I, I was super pleased to hear some of the things that you had to say about it, particularly with like weight and accessibility and family. But yeah, so my first game that I'm publishing, New Kingdom Gardeners, is available on Kickstarter April 25th. You can find New Kingdom Gardeners by going to my company page, uh, New Kingdom Gaming, or the Facebook group, New Kingdom Gardeners. And then uh, you can always visit my landing page. This is a great place to sign up for emails, follow the, the Kickstarter. You can do all of that in one place at uh, New Kingdom Gaming dot com slash gardeners that's the landing page for the game specifically new kingdom gardeners is a game that's ultimately about helping others uh, in a competitive style so it's kind of interesting so um I, i've heard from people that that's innovative so i'm glad to <laughs> glad to hear that it is really excited to see it come to kickstarter um and uh, really, really grateful to have your support, Andrew. So thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.